two degrees on the docking uh, index. We'd like to uh, know if that's 2.0 precise or if it's 2.1 or 1.9. Uh, this is Apollo Control Houston at uh, 68 hours, 52 minutes into the flight of Apollo 8. At this time, uh, Glenn Lunny has gone around the room uh, taking a status check uh, with his flight control team. Uh, we look go, we continue to stand by, and this is Apollo Control Houston. Here we go. I was on duty for the lunar orbit insertion, and we start falling towards the moon, and uh, it's getting bigger. There's a two-hour orbit around the moon, and when you go behind the moon, you have about maybe 50 minutes of of where you can't see the vehicle. Well, that was a very uh, eerie feeling. You know, we had, uh, here we're going to the moon, been talking back and forth with the, the flight crew all of the way, and then we have loss of signal, you know, LOS, and we can't talk to it. Apollo 8, Houston, one minute to LOS, all systems go. Safe journey, guys. Mission Control said, you're going to lose communication with us at such and such a time. And to the second, that's when we lost communication. You could have heard a pin drop in that control center. I mean, if it's the first time we've gone behind the moon. You can't see it. We can't, we don't have any data. So we're depending on the spacecraft working perfectly behind the moon because it could come out from the backside of that moon. It could go anywhere. It might be headed into the damn lunar surface. It might be headed into deep space if that engine screwed up or the computer screwed up. So I'm up pretty tight. They had to do a maneuver on the backside to slow down to stay in orbit around the moon. And if they didn't do that maneuver, they would come out uh, back into view of the Earth at one time. If they did do the maneuver, then they would come back at another time. And we had two countdown clocks set up so that we could count down to both of those. Houston, mark uh, one minute from predicted time of acquisition. Apollo 8, Houston, over. Apollo Control, Houston, uh, Jerry Carr has uh, placed a call. We're standing by. We've heard nothing yet, but uh, we're standing by. We've got it, Apollo uh, 8 now in, in lunar orbit. Sure enough, they came around the corner. The burn had gone fine. They were in orbit. So there's a cheer in this room. Uh, this is Apollo Control Houston uh, switching now to the voice of Jim Lovell. 
big sigh of relief because we knew at least they were stable. Now whether we could get them out of orbit, that was, that was another question. I would say that all of us, we probably spent the whole day that we were in orbit around the moon in the control center. Everybody was so keyed up. Then, you know, towards the end of this day, Frank Borman comes on, says, you know, they, they have something to say. So I was just watching what was going on with the spacecraft. Everything was nominal. And then Frank Borman just started, said, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And then it hit everybody at Mission Control Center, I think, whether they were faith-based or not, like a ton of bricks. That made the hair stand up on my neck. It was uh, such a, I don't know, such a moment. None of us knew that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed a bit. I was cried. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. It just rang the right bell for everybody. And if you thought about it for 40 years and asked yourself, well, what could you have said that was better than that, there wouldn't have been another answer. God saw that it was good. We engineers are not poets. We're not good at that. But uh, I mean, it was a profound effect on everybody that was in the control center. This is the first time in all human history that mankind beheld with our own eyes God's view of creation from the heavens. Frank Borman would later write in his biography that his first thought upon seeing the earth from this perspective was, this must be what God sees. My family has a unique connection uh, to this event. See, my, my grandmother, Bobby Kroll, was a flight instructor and Bobby was the one who actually taught Frank Borman how to fly. That's a picture of Bobby. Next to the actual, the Taylor aircraft that uh, Taylor Cub, 
that she taught Frank Borman in that aircraft how to fly. Um, a few years ago, Frank Borman sent my mom an autographed copy of uh, his biography, a book called Countdown. And uh, in it, he wrote a wonderful inscription uh, to my mom about her mother. He said this. He said, Patricia, your mother, Bobby Kroll, taught me to fly. She was a wonderful instructor, very patient, never yelled at me as some others did in later years. God bless Frank Borman. Uh, he actually uh, writes about my grandmother in, in the book as well. You know, tragically, my grandmother, Bobby, didn't live to see Frank Borman fly to the moon. Um, during the Christmas season, Frank Borman went to the moon. Well, 20 years earlier during the Christmas season, my grandmother actually took her own life. And it is so tragic in what should have been a season of light and a season of hope and a season of joy, and all of those things are what Christmas is. It is what, it's what, it, it's what it is, you know? Um, and yet for her, it was a season of darkness and despair, and for, for some, Christmas is a season of darkness and despair. And, you know, tonight I want to start by doing two things. Number one, I want to first acknowledge that there is darkness in this world. You know, astronaut Jim Lovell went on this mission with Frank Borman, Apollo 8. He would later be the commander of Apollo 13, the ill-fated mission uh, that became a, a rescue uh, and recovery mission. But uh, Jim Lovell said about this mission that we've just watched, Apollo 8, he said, um, a screenwriter couldn't have done a better job. He was commenting kind of on the events that led up to this, this moon launch. He said the year of 1968 in the United States was a disastrous year. We had the Vietnam War going on, elections going on, riots going on. We had two prominent people, Martin Luther King Jr. and, and, uh, and Robert Kennedy were both assassinated in 1968. And he said to end the year by going to the moon on Christmas Eve, it just all fell into place. And... You know, as he was reflecting on the disastrous year that was 1968, I can't help but, but think about so many parallels in, in the year that is 2019. And maybe for some of you, 2019 hasn't been all that you hoped that it would be. And maybe you can identify with those feelings of despair or of depression or, or whatever the case may be. But... You know, tonight, with the acknowledgement that there is a very present darkness that exists in this world, I don't want to focus on that. I want to acknowledge it. But tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an announcement of deliverance. I want to focus on and give to you and deliver to you an announcement of hope and an announcement of joy it's an announcement that we read about to start the service that was first declared by the angels to the shepherds keeping watch over their sheep at night. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to some people. That's not what he said. He said it's to all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Isaiah the prophet declared, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Right? And he said, 
His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew's Gospel tells us all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord, uh, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That's what the name means, Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to think about that. God with us. God hasn't abandoned us to the darkness. Rather, God has entered into our darkness. And into the darkness, God brings light. And he shines forth his light. And it's not the temporary fleeting light of man's accomplishments. Hey, 1968 might have been a disastrous year. The moon launch might have been a remarkable achievement and just maybe a shot in the arm for a nation that really desperately needed it at that time. But listen, at best it was temporary. See, God's light, God's uh, bringing light into darkness, it transcends accomplishments, it transcends circumstances. It's not the work of a screenwriter. It's the work of the, the writer, the author of life. The light of life, the light of hope. The Bible says this. I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to put all these verses on the screen for you. I'm going to make four applications from this text. And uh, we're going to wish you a Merry Christmas and be on our way tonight. But the Bible says this. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. The Word is Jesus Christ. The beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. Jesus was with God. Jesus uh, was God. And the, Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, just as I'm a witness to tell you about the light of Christ tonight. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came, Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John makes four points in these 14 verses. The first point is this, that this world, you have a creator, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says this, that God made the world and everything in it. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he, he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Do you see that picture of a, of a blindness? Though he is not far from any one of us, 
for in him we live and move and we exist. This world has a creator. Second point that John makes is that this world has a conflict. We, you, me, we have a conflict. See, John says in verses 10 and 11 there of John chapter 1 that Jesus came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Jesus came to his own people, John says, and even they rejected him. You see, here's the truth. Because God is a good God, because he's a loving God, God has created you and me with a capacity of choice. God desires a loving relationship with you. And what kind of a relationship would it be if you had no choice in the matter? If, if you were forced to love God and stay with God, what kind of a marriage would you have if your spouse had no choice in the matter? They had to be there, right? That, that we would not call that a healthy marriage or a good marriage right? God, because he loves you and he wants a genuine love relationship with you and me, he gives us a choice in the matter. We are free to receive him and to welcome him as Lord. And as well, we are free to reject him and insist on being the God of our own lives, which is exactly what Satan did. Satan rebelled against God's authority. Satan exalted himself and said, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. Basically said, I will be God. And God cast him out of heaven. And <clears throat> Satan then tempted Adam and Eve, our parents, as it were. And he tempted them, and they yielded to Satan's tempting in the garden. And the Bible says that this plunged the world into darkness and into sin. Paul put it this way to the Romans. He said, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. See, here's the problem. The Bible says that you are a sinner by nature and by choice. I'm a sinner by nature and by choice. We are born into sin. We are born with a sin nature. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin simply means to miss the mark. God's mark is perfection. God's mark is obedience, and we've all missed that. Ain't none of us perfect. And so, because you're a sinner, the wages of sin is death. You know how wages work, right? The end of the week, it's payday. Pay me. Give me my wages for what I have earned. That's the idea. And so, the wages, what you've earned by virtue of who you are and how you live, by virtue of who I am and how I live, it earns me death. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the good news of the gospel is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When you hear what Paul said to the Romans, he said there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. 
Why do we celebrate Christmas by giving gifts to each other? It is to commemorate the greatest gift of all time ever given to mankind, and that is the person, the man, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God who stepped out of heaven, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why? Because God the Father is a loving God who desires that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And Paul goes on and he says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, <coughs> but even greater <clears throat> is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That brings us to the third point that John makes here in the Gospel of John. The world has a choice. The world has a choice. You have a choice. John says this in verses 12 and 13. He says, To all, but to all who believed him, believed Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You see, because God is a good God and a God of love, he doesn't leave you to die in your sin. No, Paul told the Romans, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the un ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, the good news of the gospel is this, that there is a God in heaven who is holy and pure and righteous. And you are none of those things. And because you are none of those things, you cannot, you can't be with him. You can't have fellowship with him as a sinner. You, you can't have the hope of eternal life and the hope of heaven as a sinner. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin in your place. And he rose again on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death. And what he does is he offers to you the gift of salvation. He says essentially to you, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. Make the right choice. And so the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, we'll come back to that, but the idea is that, man, you can come to the place to where God... I, what can I do? Well, religion would say, do good. Try harder. You're, you're, you're a wicked, evil person, so like you got to stop being wicked and evil, and you got to work harder, and you got to do good, and try harder. Hey, listen, you can't work enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't do good enough. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And basically what that means is that on your best day, on your best day of your entire life, take, take your highlight day when you were most godly and you take that to God and you go, does this earn me a right standing before you? And God says, no, it earns you death because you're still a sinner by nature and by choice. It's, it's filthy before me. But the gospel, not religion, the religion says do good, try harder. But what we celebrate at Christmas is the gift of Jesus because the gospel says Jesus did. He did what you couldn't. He came. He lived that life. He died. He took your sins upon him. All of your sin, all of your unrighteousness was imputed to God, was accounted to God, 
right? He who knew no sin, the Bible said, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, not through our good works, but in him. See, it's just confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior and just, just embracing, receiving the gift. Hey, I got a Christmas present for you. Jesus, he, t- he took the debt that you could never repay. He took it upon himself. And he offers to you eternal life. All you have to do is, is believe that he's Lord. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. Confess that with your mouth. Surrender your life to him. Invite him to come into your life. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You get a do-over in Christ. And you get everything forgiven. That's the idea. And so this world has that choice. And that brings me to my fourth and final point. And here it is. This world has an incarnate Christ. We have an incarnate Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to this world and took on the form of a man. And having humbled himself in that way, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Here's what John says, verse 14. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only sin. Guys, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about, the gift of God himself who came to save us from our sins. And the message of the gospel, (coughs) it's not do good and try harder. It's not what you can do for God. It's what God has done for you. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the light that shines in the darkness. Will you let the Lord flip that light on in your heart tonight? Celebrate that light. 1 John 1, 9, I've already quoted it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.